Sadly, it's not uncommon today for those who claim to be followers of Christ to show half-hearted commitment to Christ's bride, the church. Like consumers, many Christians shop around for the best church experience. Others merely attend for an hour each week without any desire to meet needs among God's people or to be a part of the church's mission. There are even those who attempt to follow Christ apart from frequently gathering with God's people. But as David points out in this sermon from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God has not designed us to be spiritual lone rangers. Welcome to The Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more free resources over at our website, Radical.net, like our brand new 97-page resource called Mission Precision. In this downloadable PDF, David Platt examines eight truths that are crucial to the church's mission. You can download this for free by visiting Radical.net forward slash Mission Precision. God has not designed us to be spiritual lone rangers. We are fellow members of Christ's body. For the sake of our own souls and for the sake of Christ's mission, every follower of Christ should be committed to a local church. Here's David Platt continuing the 12 Traits of a Biblical Church series with a sermon titled Membership from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have the word of this God, and I hope you do, or somebody around you does, you can look on with. Let me invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to. And while you're turning, I want to welcome those of you who are gathering with us in Montgomery County and Loudoun and Prince William and the Wharf and different microsites, assisted living centers, homeless shelters. Uh, can I just say how thankful I am to be a part of this church? So I was out of town last week for Secret Church, which I hope was uh, uh, profitable for you if you were able to be a part, uh, if you were able to stay awake uh, till 1.30 a.m. Uh, I'm looking forward to, Lord willing, us hosting that here next year. But I was preaching elsewhere last Sunday, actually in a church where the pastor is a brother that I had the privilege of baptizing and discipling years ago. So it was joy. As I was preaching there, God moved powerfully in those services, but I just really miss being here and couldn't wait to get back. I just thank God for the privilege of belonging to this church with you, which is so, that's a... It's actually, I say that because that's, that's what we're diving into today. So membership in a local church. Uh, so there she was. I uh, was the first girl that I'd ever asked out on a date. I've given some of the background before. I was a junior in high school and had not had much success on the relationship front. Truth be told, had had no success on the relationship front until this one girl came to church camp and word got around that she thought I was cute. And I thought, oh, there's a girl who thinks I'm cute, so what do I do? I start talking to her. I get the nerve up to ask her to go out with me and some friends. She says yes. We start dating, kind of, mostly in settings where we're hanging around with our friends. And everything was going well until one phone conversation. When I decided I was tired of having to talk on the phone like every night. I had other things going on in my life, right? 
So I told her on the phone one night that God, my family, and my schoolwork were more important to me than her. Yes, I said my schoolwork. <laughs> which I would maintain today was the right priority in my life at that point. But needless to say, she was not too thrilled. And our dating experience quickly came to an end. I was fine with that until she started dating a close friend of mine. <laughs> At which point I began wondering what in the world was I thinking? I had totally blown it. Sure, I had plenty of schoolwork to do, but that wasn't comforting me in that moment. So, thus began the process of getting to know this girl all over again, slowly becoming good friends with this girl, eventually best friends with this girl, and eventually marrying this girl. So, needless to say, my bride is patient with me. But what about the bride of Christ? So it's often said that Christians approach churches like dating. In our contemporary church culture, we've developed a practice where we hop from one church to the next. We attend a particular church based on how we feel that particular Sunday morning. And then on some, maybe many Sunday mornings, we just substitute other activities for church in our lives. We come and we go to this church or that church. After all, we're Christians. That's what matters most. We're part of the church around the world. So why would we need to commit our lives to a church? And what's the point of becoming a member of a church? So you can vote in business meetings? That doesn't seem to be worth it. So we date the church, sometimes different churches. Sometimes we date the church for years, never really committing to one. And I think there's a lot of reasons why we date the church. On one hand, we're pretty independent people. We live in a very individualistic culture. We are self-made, self-reliant, self-sufficient people. The thought of mutual commitment and submission and accountability in a church seems foreign, quite honestly, frightening to many of us. Truth be told, a lot of us are skeptical of the church. I'm guessing many of you have experienced hurt in the church in the past. Maybe you've been burned in some way and you're pretty guarded as a result. Many, if not most of us, are skeptical of any institution these days. You look around the world and sadly you look even at the church, you see scandal, you see corruption, you see abuse. So even the thought of commitment to an institution like a church feels scary for those who aren't followers of Christ. This might even sound cultic. In the end, we, we feel pretty safe in our independence, so we keep our distance. We date the church because we're independent, because we're indecisive. Sometimes we date around different churches because we can't decide on the one we really like. It's like the consumer mentality applied to church. We're shopping for the best possible package for the best price on Sunday morning. I like the music here, but I like the preaching there. I don't like the preaching there, but I like the kids' programs. We're wired to always look for the better deal, which often leads to a critical attitude toward the church. We can find something wrong with at least any church we look at. And oftentimes, as soon as we begin to settle down into a place, we're just cognizant of all the things we don't like. We're indecisive. Or we date the church because we're new in our faith. Now, it's interesting. I oftentimes hear people use supposed maturity and being advanced in faith to describe why they're not members of a church. People say, I don't, I don't need to commit to a church. I can grow in Christ. I can accomplish more for Christ, doing things on my own without membership in a church. People will even say, I love Christ. I just can't stand the church. 
almost as that's a good thing. Like, please don't say that. The, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. Like, men, what would you think if I came up to you and said, you know, I love you, bro, but I ever just, I ever told you I just can't stand your wife? Would you take that as a compliment? The Bible calls the church the body of Christ. My husband, what if your wife came up to you and said, honey, I love you, but I just need you to know I can't stand your body. Like, that's not, that's not a, an advanced thing to say in a relationship. Sometimes we date the church because our view of the church is incomplete. Like many people today have reduced the church to a place you go to, to hear a sermon. You don't really expect much more than that. So you wonder why would I need to commit myself to that? Others date the church because we're inundated by all kinds of things. There's pressure from work on Sundays, pressure to have your kids and this or that sport or travel team or our lives are full and we try, but it feels like the church can just so easily get choked out because our lives are tied up in all sorts of things. In the end, I think some, maybe many people are just plain indifferent. Like many of us have never really thought about why committing yourself to a church would be that important. And if that's you, I don't blame you because I think churches have contributed to this. We've not really held membership in a church very high in our day. It hasn't always been that way. There have been times in church history where membership in the church was highly valued and extremely important, but not today. Like we mentioned, what what does membership really mean? Voting in a meeting, is that all? And if it's more than that, a lot of people aren't really interested in more than that kind of commitment. The name of the game in the church today is to make it as easy as possible for people to follow Christ and be a part of a church. So don't ask for a major commitment to either. That's why any church growth expert would say the last thing we should be talking about is church membership today, unless we're hoping to decrease ours. But my aim in the next few minutes is to show us that this kind of thinking is actually out of step with God's word. Today, I want to show you in the Bible that committing yourself to meaningful membership in a local church is actually critical to your life as a follower of Christ. Critical. Like, I want to help you begin to think about why commitment to a church should be a high priority in your life, one that actually shapes your other priorities. I want to show you a picture of the church that I hope in the days to come will shape the way you think about work and sports and parenting and a million other things in your life. And pastorally, I want to show you how amidst inevitably busy lives and families, commitment to the church is designed by God to be a revolutionary reality in your life and your family. And even as I say that, I know that there are some of you here today and other campuses who are new to the church. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe for the first time in a long time you're here. Maybe you're not even a follower of Christ right now. And I want you to hang with me as we talk about commitment to the church. And my hope is that you will see a picture of community that you want in your life and your family. So this is the sixth of 12 traits of a biblical church we're looking at during the first half of this year. We've seen how biblical preaching and teaching, evangelism, discipleship, prayer, and giving are traits of a biblical church. Today, I want us to see how biblical membership is an essential, in fact, I would say is one of the most essential traits of a biblical church. Today, I want to show you, so if you're taking notes, that biblically, followers of Christ are not church avoiders or attenders, hoppers or shoppers. 
that biblically followers of Christ are church members. So let's read starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. So we're going to read God's word here. And I want you to count. So a little activity here, a little audience participation. Count, maybe even circle in your Bible every time you see one of three words. So look for these words, either member or part or body. Member or part or body. Look for those three words and circle or count every time you see them. So this is God's word to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So we're already seeing body and members. Keep looking for part as well. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, there would be the sense of smell. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, whether the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. All right, I don't know if you were able to keep count, but I count 36 different times in 16 short verses where Christians are referred to by God as members or parts of a body. This is how God in 1 Corinthians 12 describes Christians as individual members of a greater body where everybody has a different part to play in that body. It's a beautiful picture of the church and the part every follower of Christ plays in it. Now, it's at this point that I will often hear followers of Christ say, yeah, yeah, I'm part of the body of Christ, meaning the global body of Christ. That's what the church is, a capital C church. Everybody who believes in Christ is a part or a member of the church, the global church. And that's what's most important. But is that what the Bible teaches? I don't think it is. Let me show you three reasons why biblically followers of Christ are not just members of the global church, I want to show you three reasons why the Bible actually expects followers of Christ to be members or parts of a local church. Follow this. One, see how the Bible expects followers of Christ to identify with and belong to a local church. The Bible expects every follower of Christ 
to identify with and belong to a local church. So here's what's interesting. The primary word for church in the New Testament is ekklesia. That's the Greek word that literally means gathering. It refers to a gathering of believers. And yes, there are times when the New Testament refers to the gathering of all Christians, not just in the world, but in the history of the world as the global church. But most of the time this word church appears in the New Testament is actually referring to a specific group of Christians in a particular location. In fact, out of 114 times that we see ecclesia in the New Testament, this word for church, 114 times, at least 90 of them refer to specific local groups of believers. Let me show you a couple of examples. Turn really back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this, this book that we're reading, 1 Corinthians, look at how it begins. Let me show you who this book was written to, this Bible book. Listen to how it starts. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, listen to verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Did you hear that? Paul says to the church of God that's in Corinth. That's a reference to the specific group of believers in Corinth, this local church. And then you note how they are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a reference to the global church, right? But this letter wasn't written generally to every Christian in the world in the first century. It was written specifically to the church at Corinth. It's interesting, you look right before this in your Bible, look at Romans chapter 16, the end of the book of Romans. Look at Romans 16 verse 3, listen to what Paul says there. He says, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Now, did you follow that? That's, that's a reference at the end there to a church, not just in a city, but in a house, the church that gathered in Prisca and Aquila's house. And then right before that, you see the churches of the Gentiles. That's churches, and you see the same thing over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, it's referring to different churches that are spread throughout Asia. Now, this is obviously just a small sampling, but the picture we have in the Bible over and over again is local groups of believers in particular places called churches. And notice that they're not called parts of churches. So Paul doesn't say to the part of the church that's in Corinth or the part of the church that meets in this house or the parts of the church scattered throughout Asia. No, each of these groups locally is called a church. And that's the primary emphasis in the New Testament. Local churches, local bodies of Christ to which individual followers of Christ belong. We see this all over the New Testament. Think about Revelation. Remember, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches in Revelation. Those letters are addressed specifically to Christians who are members or parts of local churches, local groups of believers in those places. So what happens when you read the New Testament you and I find ourselves asking the question in every one of our lives, so which church, like which group of believers in which particular place am I a part or a member of? Maybe put it this way. If Paul were to write a letter to you in the 21st century, which local body of believers would you be identified with? The Bible expects followers of Christ to identify with and belong to a local church. So there's a group of Christians in Metro Washington, D.C. who identify themselves with and belong to McLean Bible Church. So the question is, are you a part or a member of this body? 
Or are you a part or a member of another body of believers? At which point some might think, well, I belong to all sorts of churches. I identify with different ones every week sometimes. What's so wrong with that? That question leads to the next picture we see in scripture. To follow this, second, the Bible expects followers of Christ to be served by and submissive to local church leaders. The Bible expects followers of Christ to be served by and submissive to local church leaders. Hold your place here in 1 Corinthians and turn me over to Hebrews on this one. So you're going to go to the right in your Bible. You'll go past a variety of books. You'll come to Hebrews chapter 13. I want to show you a really interesting verse in Hebrews chapter 13 that helps us understand the importance of commitment to one church. So you look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we started by reading, you read about apostles and prophets and teachers in the church. All throughout the New Testament, you see pastors and elders and overseers referred to as leaders in the church, which all leads to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Listen to what the Bible says there. We'll put it on the screen as well. God says, gives us command to Christians in Hebrews 13, 17, says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Well, that's a pretty challenging verse to preach on as a pastor. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Sounds pretty self-serving, doesn't it? It seems like a pastor or church leader could use a verse like that to lord it over people. But then listen to the second part of this verse. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Did you catch that? I sure did. As a pastor, as a leader in the church, this verse just said that I will stand before God to give an account for the people I lead. Which leads me to ask the question, who will I give an account to God for? Do I give an account to God? Will I give an account to God for every believer in the global church spread out around the world? No, I will give an account before God along with the other pastors of McLean Bible Church and all of our different campuses for everyone who is, who is identified as a member or a part of this body. That's what Acts 20:28 20, says. It says the elders and pastors are responsible for caring for the flock that's been entrusted to them. That implies they know who the flock is that's entrusted to them. 1 Peter 5 says that elders, pastors, are shepherds of God's flock that's under their care. The Bible makes clear that elders and pastors, including myself, have a responsibility for a particular group of people before God. The parts are members of a church, which means it's really important for pastors to know who the members of a church are. And not just for pastors. This is important for you, for every follower of Christ. To come back in the first part of Hebrews 13, 17, God's word commands you to obey and submit to leaders in the church. So think about that. Does that mean that you as a Christian, you're supposed to obey and submit to every leader that exists in the global body of Christ? Or are you supposed to follow the instruction the, this, this instruction, Hebrews 13, with 17, with the pastors or leaders of the local church to which you belong. And in order, in order to carry out this biblical command, you need to identify with a church made up of pastors and leaders that you respect, that you trust to teach you God's word, which is huge. We'll talk about this more when we get to biblical leadership one week, but the picture the Bible is giving here is clearly it's not members of a church just obeying whatever a pastor says according to his opinion, and you're held responsible before God for doing whatever a pastor says. No, the pastor's authority to lead in the 
church is 100% based on teaching God's word and it's when pastors are teaching God's word, then yes, members of a church want to obey and submit to God's word accordingly. All this to say though, now we're starting to see why so many people, including pastors, are totally uncomfortable with the thought of membership in the church. Like leaders are gonna stand before God to give an account for members? What does that mean? And Christians are supposed to obey and submit to leaders? What does that mean? Again, we'll talk about more about what that means when we dive into biblical leadership, but suffice to say right now, this is humbling stuff for pastors and church members alike. But it's God's word. And in order for Hebrews 13, 17 to be a reality in your life, then it's necessary to identify yourself as a part of a church, a member of a church. And this gets all the more humbling when you see one more way that God in his word expects followers of Christ to be members of a local church. Number three, the Bible expects followers of Christ to yearn for and yield to local church accountability. And just so you know, now the Bible is taking things way over the top. The Bible expects followers of Christ to yearn for and yield to local church accountability. So now come back with me to 1 Corinthians, but not chapter 12. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at this topic more in depth when we look at biblical accountability as a specific trait of a biblical church. But let me just give you a teaser. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 1. So Paul, in this letter to the church at Corinth, this identifiable group of believers in Corinth, he says, chapter 5, verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So to explain what just happened here, Paul just told the church at Corinth, you have a member in your midst who's having an affair with his dad's wife. And he says, this is sin. This man refuses to repent. So what does Paul say? In verse two, Paul says, remove him from among you. You jump to the last verse, last couple of verses in the chapter. Listen to verse 12. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. Do you see what's happening here? And you realize, follow this, 1 Corinthians 5 is only possible if you have an understanding of membership in a local church. So here in the church of Corinth, you have people who are identified as being inside the church and people who are outside the church. If members of the church, not members of the church. And there comes a point if a member in the church continues in willful, blatant, deliberate, unrepentant sin, they need to be removed from membership in the church. Which is exactly what Jesus himself taught the church to do. We don't have time to turn here today, but I'll put it on the screen. Listen to Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now follow this. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, so follow this. If a brother is unrepentant in sin, and they won't turn after private correction between one and two or three people, Jesus says, tell it to the church. So what does that mean? Does that mean tell it to the entire global body of Christ? 
No, that means tell it to the members, the other parts of that man's church. And then if he refuses to listen, even to the church as a whole, then you remove him from the church as a whole. Now, we're going to talk more about this trade of a church a few weeks from now and what is sure to be a politically incorrect Sunday, but it's pretty clear that these passages are showing us a biblical expectation. The followers of Christ identify as a member of a church that they could be removed from if they continued in unrepentant sin. Now, I use the language that followers of Christ yearn for and yield to accountability like this in a church, and you might think they do. And the answer, biblically, practically, and personally, is absolutely we do. Think about it. I think about my life. If I am wandering off into unrepentant sin in a way that will destroy my life or my marriage or my family or the reputation of Christ, then I want brothers and sisters in my life who will warn me not to go that way. I long for, yearn for a church, people that will love me enough to call me back when I wander away from Christ, which I'm prone to do in my sinfulness. And so are you. This is part of how the Bible defines being a member of a church. Membership means saying, I yearn for this and yield to this from others. And I will carry, out this, carry this out with others. I will pursue others in love. Because this is one of the most clear ways we care for one another in the body of Christ. We'll talk about that more in the days to come. And this accountability is not even just between one another. There's other places in the Bible where we see that members of the church together are accountable before God. According to scripture, church members are accountable for choosing and appointing leaders who honor God and are good for the church. Acts 6, 2 through 6. Church members are accountable for making sure the gospel is being preached in the church. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Church members are accountable for commissioning missionaries from the church. Acts 13, 1 through 3. When you put all that together, you realize the Bible is flying straight in the face of American individualism and all of our skepticism. And to be honest, straight in the face of much of our contemporary church culture and is begging every follower of Christ in this room and other campuses to ask the question, where are you committed as a member or part of a local church? Not even just where's your name on a roll somewhere or where do you attend worship and listen to a sermon. No, where are you committed to gathering together every week you can with a group of believers where you are mutually submitting to the word of God and to one another where you're giving together, caring for one another, taking responsibility for helping the other members of that body grow in faith, basically carrying out the functions that we see in scripture of a church together. And that is what church membership is. If you're taking notes, biblical membership is a meaningful commitment to following Christ together in a local church. And the church, by the design of God, a church is made up of members who are committed to one another like this, which is huge. Again, the more I was praying for and preparing for today, I just couldn't help but to think about all the people, even sincere followers of Christ, who view church today as merely a service you attend, where you sit next to people you may not even know very well, then you walk away and just try to follow Christ on your own. This is not what God has designed the church to be. And this is not what God has designed for you to experience. 
God has not designed the church to be an event where we passively sit and watch a stage together and then move on to everyday life. The church is designed to be a community that does all the things we're talking about in this series together. Yes, we worship together and sit under the preaching of the word together, but our community is about so much more. We, we share the gospel together, the greatest news in the world. We're making known in this city and around the world together. We make disciples together. We pray together. We give together. We pool our resources for the spread of God's glory in the world. We hurt together, just like we saw in 1 Corinthians 12. We rejoice together. We mourn together. We share life together. All kinds of things we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. This is what it means to be a member of a church. It's not just about voting or attending a meeting. It's about being committed to a community of brothers and sisters in Christ, a faith family. And I just want you to hear and see today that God desires for every follower of Christ to experience that kind of meaningful community as part of a church. And if that's under the banner of McLean Bible Church and all of our campuses, that is great. We would love for you to be a part, a member of this faith family. Or if God is leading you to a, to be a part of another Bible-believing, gospel-proclaiming church, that's great. It's great. And if that's the case, you are obviously welcome to worship here periodically. But we would encourage you to be committed to that local church where you are a part. The point is to commit somewhere and don't date the church. Commit to a church. And when you do, let's follow this. Here's what will happen. What happens when we leave church dating behind? One, you experience God's love in your life in greater ways then you ever could alone experience God's love in your life. And I say this in part because it's right after 1 Corinthians 12 that we see one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible and all of written literature on love, the beauty of love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And it's right after 1 Corinthians 12 for a reason because that kind of love is experienced in the context of life with other members of the body of Christ. Oh, see your life, your life and your experience of God's love is incomplete without the body of Christ around you like that. That's the whole point of the imagery in 1 Corinthians 12. On your own, without other members of the body of Christ around you, you're like a hand without a foot or like an eye without an ear. And God has designed the local church to be a place where you experience the fullness of his love in your life. Now, even as I say that, I know, I mentioned earlier, I know that... Some of you in the past have experienced hurt in the church. When you think church, you don't think experience of God's love. You think of wounds. And if that's the case, I just want you to hear from God's word. That is not his design for the church. At the same time, I want you to know very clearly, like McLean Bible Church is not a perfect church. You, you may be able to try to find the perfect church, but if you join it, be sure it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> like, the church is made up of a bunch of messed up people. <laughs> I'm looking at all of you. <laughs> like, but that's, that's, that's the point, right? Like, it's not where a bunch of perfect people come together and everything's just, just perfect. When, no, I mean, Jesus didn't love us because we were perfect. He loved us despite our many imperfections. 
And so it makes sense for imperfect people saved by incredible love from God to show that kind of love to each other. But here's the question, right? How? How will we display the glory of the one who sacrificed his life for the church if we sacrifice nothing for the church? How will we display the beauty of the bride of Christ if all we do is date the church and constantly look for something better to come along that appeals to our preferences? Know this. This is God saying he wants you to experience a depth of love in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ in a church. And not just you. So follow this. When you commitment, commit to a church, other, experience, uh, other Christians experience God's love through your life. So being a part of a church is a good reminder every week that your Christianity is not just about you. That you're designed by God to love others in committed community in the body of Christ. And you, follow this, you, right where you're sitting right now, are critical to that kind of community in a church, like every single one of you. Don't miss the picture in 1 Corinthians 12. A church without you is handless, or footless, or eyeless, or earless. Don't underestimate the role that every follower of Christ has in the church. God has given you gifts for the building up of the church. God has designed for you and your membership and participation in the church to be a reflection of his love for other people. There are hurting people in the church and they need you committed to them, not dating them in and out, sit next to them and then kind of move on with life on your own. And not just other Christians. When you commit to a church, non-Christians see God's love for them. You say, what do you mean? Think Jesus' words in John 13, 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you what? If you love one another. John 17, same picture. Our community as the church is designed to be a witness to the world. God has designed our community together in the church to be a display of his love in the world. Such that, according to God's design, when the world sees a sacrificial 1 Corinthians 13-like love that people have in the church for one another, the world will be drawn to Christ. We've said already, oftentimes that's not what the world sees in the church, which is why we want to work to make that change. We want to love one another so well that non-Christians will look at McLean Bible Church and see the power of God's love at work. Which leads to the whole last benefit, ultimate benefit of commitment to a church so you experience God's love, others experience God's love through you, non-Christians see God's love for them, and ultimately when you commit to a church, God receives the glory he deserves. Amen. Follow this. This, this goes totally against the grain of the way we are wired to think. And in our individualistic culture and even in church, follow this. God's glory, Christian, is displayed most clearly, not through your individual commitment to Christ. God's glory, according to the Bible, is displayed most clearly through a community's commitment to Christ. All throughout the Old Testament, yes, God's drawing individuals to himself. Ultimately, he's drawing uh, people to himself. In the New Testament, that people is called the church. Jesus did not die just for you or just for me. He died for the church. So get the picture. Followers of Christ in this room and other campuses, like your purpose in the world is so much larger than your individual life. You were made for a community that is united together in Christ to show his love to the world. A community made up of people 
different from you, from different backgrounds, with different gifts and different skills and different passions than you, different people who uniquely come together in Christ to display his greatness to a watching world. You know why I'm so thankful to be a part of this church? Because of the members across this church. The community God has formed here uniquely that's unlike anything else in the world. I was thinking about this week as I prepare to just introduce you to some people. I think about Lydia out at Prince William. Actively involved in Rock student ministry, teenager. Lydia invited two friends at different times to Rock camp. Both came, became followers of Christ. She asked another friend to help do translation during Turkey outreach. Through the process of translating the gospel over and over again, that friend came to Christ. Lydia and another friend, her friend's dad, recently committed suicide, so Lydia and her friend just got approval to start a mental health awareness club at their school. She and her family are reading through the entire Bible together. Lydia and her siblings were baptized last Sunday. Then you have Cheryl out at Prince William. Cheryl has a really hard background, has experienced horrible abuse. Then over a year ago, she was robbed and assaulted in her driveway one night. She's been through surgeries, still suffers from double vision and migraines. She's in the middle of this picture. Every Sunday, she's a greeter out of Prince William. She's involved in ministry to those who suffered abuse and grief like her. She and her husband are constantly sharing the gospel with anybody who will listen to them. I think about Jennifer and Ed out at Loudoun. They've been members at McLean for close to a decade, serve in access ministries, have been in mission trips, on mission regularly among poorer parts of Loudoun County. I think about Eric and Linda out at Loudoun, also have been members at NBC for years, actively involved together in discipling teenagers there. Eric actively discipling men in the church. I think about Alan out of Montgomery County, worked, has worked for U-Haul for years, started local, now serving in corporate while continuing his education, helped get Christianity 101 online a few years ago, faithfully teaches the word out of MoCo. And by the way, ladies, he is single. <laughs> I think about Anna Paula at Arlington from Brazil, a student became a member at NBC because she wants to hear the gospel preached regularly. She wants to worship God freely and she wants to be a part of authentic community that's praying together and investing in each other's lives. I come here to Tyson's. I see Robert and Annie from Ghana who faithfully served as ushers here for years out in the lobby week after week after week. I see Jocelyn from Cameroon who comes in every week to serve with our host teams. She's responsible for all kinds of things that go on behind the scenes, volunteering her time. I can go on and on. I think about Ron and Carol Bowen. Ron's 72. They downsized, moved into a senior living area specifically to reach people for Christ in that area. They lead multiple evangelistic Bible studies every week. Ron and Carol head up a bowling league on Tuesday mornings with over 100 of their neighbors, all intent on reaching them with the gospel. You can go and join Ron and Carol's bowling league. Is this not incredible? Like the members, the parts that make up McLean Bible Church. And I just, I look, and this is obviously a tiny sampling, but I just think, where else in the world do Lydia Kang, Cheryl Stokes, Jennifer and Ed Green, Eric and Linda Florence, Alan Lane, Anna Paul Silva, Robert and Annie Okine, Justine Madame, Ron, Ron and Carol Bowen, where do they come together in community? Do you see the beauty here? We're the church, a visible expression in this area of the global body of Christ. 
And we've joined together on a mission to show God's love to each other and to spread God's love in the world. Why would any follower of Christ not want to be committed to that kind of community? Oh, brothers and sisters, let's leave church dating behind. Let's commit ourselves to a local body of Christ and lock arms together for his glory in the world around us. Now, here's the deal. We're diving into this word today, and I know the statistical realities. A relatively small number of you here in another campus listening right now have actually identified as members of McLean Bible Church. And usually when I show something in the word, when we see something in the word, like pastorally, I want to call us to obey that word immediately. But today is kind of an exception, kind of. Because once we get through this 12 traits series, we want to more fully incorporate all 12 of these traits in our membership process, which means we're going to be strengthening that membership process in the days ahead. In addition, we're not ready administratively for thousands to jump into that process today. So you might want to wait and walk through that membership process once we've made some of those adjustments. And I will let you know when that happens, we're gonna have a big push for membership at that point. But for now, so first, like if you wanna go ahead and walk through that process, now by all means, feel free to do so. Like you will not be sinning in doing so. That would be a good thing. Uh, just, just know we'll be strengthening that in the days to come, just for your awareness. Regardless, second, I wanna encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ, to decide as soon as possible what local church, what body of Christ you are going to be committed to in your life, your family. And if that is somewhere besides McLean Bible Church, then let me encourage you to commit your all to whatever body of Christ is preaching, living according to God's word. Or if that's here, then even if you wait to go through strength and membership process in the days ahead, go ahead and commit your life to being, to following Christ together as a part, as a member in that sense of this church. Get involved in. If you're not already in praying, giving, making disciples, living on mission in this mission in this church, and we want to help you do that in any way we can. At the end of our service, I, other campus pastors in different places will kind of help you with next steps along those lines. And then the last thing I'll mention, I mentioned in the beginning that uh, I, I realize some, maybe many of you are not yet followers of Christ. I appreciate you hanging with this thinking together in God's word about church membership, but I, plain and simply, I want to invite you to become a follower of Christ today. The whole reason we're united together in this church is because of God's love. And apart from God's love, I've already mentioned it, we are one messed up group of people. But the, the good news is God loves messed up people. Like we're, not, we're not looking for people who have it all figured out. None of us claims to have it all figured out. We do know this, though. We know that God loves us so much that he sent his son to live the life of perfect obedience to God that we could never live. And then even though he had not sinned against God, Jesus paid the price for our sin by dying on a cross in our place. He died for all of our imperfections, all of our sin, all of our rebellion against God. 
And the way that's played out in our lives, Jesus paid the price for it all on the cross. And then he rose from the dead in victory over sin and death so that anyone who puts their faith in him as Savior and Lord is forgiven of all their sin and reconciled to him forever to be his sons and daughters, brothers and sisters together in Christ. This is what it means to be a part of the church. Don't think, what do I have to do to clean up my life in order to be a part of the church? No, it's not based on what you do. It's based on what God and his love has already done for you. And we invite you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus like that, we invite you to put your faith in him today. And as you do, we invite you to be a part of this family of faith. Thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. If you'd like to watch this full sermon or hundreds of other sermons, interviews, articles, and podcasts, that's all available free to you at Radical.net. And if you're in the Washington, D.C. area and would like to hear David in person, you can make plans to visit McLean Bible Church, where David serves as teaching pastor. You can learn more about McLean and find a campus close to you at mcleanbible.org. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us at Radical.net.